0: to our, our, the gaps in our lives from our short-term fixations, and it comes from the art of practicing contentment, which is a a lost art among many people in Christian faith today, but we're going to look to the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, who gives us an example of where we would find this and how we begin to practice this ancient, much-needed discipline. This is Philippians chapter 4. Verses 10 through 19. Paul writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Let's stop and pray for a moment. Lord God, we thank you for placing us in this world in the time that we're in. And we recognize that we live in the midst of an age of discontentment. There's very little that seems to satisfy for long, and yet we have so much. So I ask that you would give us the ability this morning to focus in on on your word and the wisdom that you have for us but also that you would continue your work in developing our our hearts and our approach to life as we try to follow after Jesus and learn from those who walked most closely with him. Allow us to discipline our hearts and our minds where we're not fickle, we're not complaining every time we don't have the newest thing that we think that we need, but that you would build deep in my heart and in all of our hearts a deep sense of being satisfied with you, based on our knowledge of you, based on our status with you, based on what we discover about you in your word, based on the way that you do supply our needs. Help us to enjoy the most in life by being content with what we have. Even as we struggle and wrestle for change in the world, and for wisdom to know how to balance that desire to see your kingdom come and all the values that will one day be played out in the world to, to be ours now and living in the midst of a world that is wonderful yet broken and in transition. Thank you for all who are here this morning with us and those who are watching with us online. We, we long to grow in terms of our our knowledge and understanding of you, but also in the way that we apply your word to our lives and the way that we apply your wisdom to our lives. Lord, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for our omissions. Allow us to have our eyes opened to how you want to reshape us and how you are continually changing us. My prayer is that the values and the heart and the vision of Jesus would shine through me and shine through all of us that you'd keep chipping off all that doesn't belong and that you'd keep building into us the values of Jesus so that when people see us, they see Jesus through us. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for what happens to us in the midst of our times of singing and worship and prayer. For the way that you change the human heart. Allow us to go away from this time this morning, changed in some way, because we do believe that Jesus is all we need, as we've just sung. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, I want you to know that I have permission to use this story. Uh, Sue and I, uh, about four years ago, decided that we were going to move and we downsized. Our kids were gone and we'd we'd paid off all the school stuff and and we decided that we wanted a smaller house that we could pay off faster. So uh, we moved, her one request was that we would move somewhere where she was closer in terms of her commute to Boston for work. So we found a house where she could walk to the commuter rail, and um, the problem was that this particular house was older and tireder, and for us to have a house that we could pay off faster, it it meant it needed a lot of help. Uh, So we began this process of rehabbing an older home that needed a lot of TLC. And we worked our way through this for a few years, and then this year, uh, COVID hit. And like many people, we started thinking through all the things that we could do with more and more time. So we got to the end of this particular summer and uh, we realized as we were just listing all the things that we had pulled off over the last couple of years, we'd painted every single room in this house, I'd patched holes in the walls, we had had one bathroom completely gutted and then reinstalled, Uh, we painted the cabinets in the kitchen and put in new countertops. On the first floor of our house we put in all new oak floors. And then we had Russ Boydlow come and he strengthened our back deck. And Derek Stearns was hired and he put in granite steps in the front. And we took on some other projects. And then finally, this summer, I painted the entire exterior of the house. I've got news for you 40 years ago, when I did that for a living, it was a whole lot easier than doing it at 60 by myself. And we got to the end of the summer. And when I climbed down from my ladder for the last time, I thought, this feels good. I'm done. I'm through with coming home almost every single day and having another rehab project to do. And then Sue and I took a walk a few weeks ago. <laughs> and she said, you know, I've been thinking about what we should do next to fix out the house. And this entire list began flowing out of all the changes she wanted to make. And, and I realized that the rooms that we painted over the last few years we're going to paint again. And some of the changes that we made we're going to rip out and we're going to do something better. All of this shows how hard it is to be content for very long with the way things are at any given time. Now, I want you to know that Sue and I are doing this together, and I'm not picking on her. In fact, she was the one that, I, that suggested I even use this illustration because it reveals to us that no matter where we think we're at and how much we think we've improved things, we don't rest very long before we want to bring more change to the situation. I chose to begin with this particular uh, theme this morning because uh, I'm convinced that there's one overarching goal that we need to pursue in the early part of this new year, and that is how to become resilient Christians. And so we began this series a few weeks ago that we're calling Resilient. The subtitle is Building a Faith That Lasts Through Chaos and Change. On the first Sunday in January, I asked this question, what building blocks go into the long-term development of a resilient faith for you and me today? And so in part one, we talked about the power of faith based on that challenge in Hebrews 12 to fix our eyes on Jesus and run the race marked out for us with all perseverance. And then last Sunday, Pastor Christie gave a memorable talk about the importance of having grit in our lives. Grit is the courage, resolve, and determination to keep pushing forward despite difficulties and even resistance. God is always preparing us for the next hard thing as he produces perseverance and grit in our lives. And this morning, in part three of this series, we're going to focus on practicing contentment. So let me just say good morning to my North River friends. Warmest greetings to everyone who's here with us in the, in the worship center. And my warm greetings to those of you who are watching from home all around the South Shore and in several different states. We're glad that you're with us today. If you find this helpful to your faith development, please tell a friend Invite them to come with you when you come here to North River if, if you're ready for that step, or invite them to watch online and talk it over and, and see how you can encourage each other and how you can spur each other on to follow Jesus more closely. I want to raise this question this morning. Why is contentment so hard to maintain in our lives? Together in the Word carried a story in 1995 about millionaire William Randolph Hearst. You, you know who Hearst is, the founder of the Hearst newspapers and the owner of that fabulous Hearst Castle in California. Well, Mr. Hearst developed a fortune, uh, or invested in fortune in collecting art treasures from all around the world. One day he was reading the description of a very valuable piece of artwork and he decided he needed needed to have it. So he sent one of his agents looking for it and the man traveled all over the world trying to find this one particular piece of art. And finally after a long period of time he wired Mr. Hurst and he said, I think we've located that piece of art. He said, great, where is it? We said, you're not going to believe this. It's in a warehouse that you already own. In other words, here is this man who had to have this very valuable piece of art, was willing to pay a fortune for it, didn't know that he already had it and was sitting in a warehouse tucked away, gathering dust. Jesus said a number of things about contentment. Not under that heading, but when we look at them more closely, we realize that was at the heart of some of his statements. For instance, he told us that we treasure the wrong things. In Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Sometimes we don't have contentment because we treasure the wrong things. Sometimes we find contentment hard to maintain because we're listening to the wrong influencers. In the same uh, Sermon on the Mount, in the same chapter of Matthew 6, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. Perhaps you are familiar with this notion of people who are influencers with our society I'd never heard that particular term until a few years ago we met a graduate student who took great photos of food at restaurants and then she would post them to her Instagram account. She actually got paid to go out to eat and then post her photos of each dish that she carefully arranged. I thought it was absolute genius. Today that term influencer is used even more frequently. A number of models, actors and high profile celebrities make their money as influencers Because people who want to follow them buy what they buy and they want to look how they look and so they wear the clothes that they wear. So it's interesting when we hear Jesus warn us about this evil master who whispers the wrong things in your ear. The evil master tells you that you never have enough. That you never matter unless you look a certain way or unless you follow the newest trend. And he's really good at this. He's been at this ever since he convinced a woman named Eve that a piece of forbidden fruit was something that she just had to try even though it would cost her her home, her innocence, and her conscience. Sometimes we're even serving the wrong master. In Matthew 4, we find Jesus being tempted. There it says, and again the the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, If you bow down and worship me, Jesus displayed a tremendous sense of contentment with God throughout his life. And yet the evil one tried to take him down by tempting him in three key areas immediate physical pleasures, popularity, and power. And if you look closely, those are the three things behind the three temptations that Jesus was given on that occasion. Should it be any surprise that people in every age and in our age are tempted in similar ways? Physical pleasures are all glossed up to promise more than they could ever possibly deliver. Popularity is offered for looking and acting in certain ways, but always with a high cost. The prospect of power destroys relationships, marriages, and partnerships all around us. And the result is a lack of contentment and an inability to enjoy even what we have. And we find this at the root of all these temptations. Today it seems we live in a sea of people who are not content with anything. And so we find ourselves misunderstood in a sea of discontent. So this morning we're going to talk about keys to practicing contentment that come from Philippians chapter 4. This is the Apostle Paul's masterclass on contentment. Three steps that he provides for us. Here's the first one. Know that you're in his hands. You're in God's hands. In verse 10, he writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Paul refers to three agents who are involved in the action that he describes in verse 10. The Lord, you, and me. The members of the church in Philippi had initiated some action. They had helped Paul. Paul is writing from his house arrest in Rome, and Paul is the direct recipient of their generosity. But the Lord, all the while, is working behind this scene, and he is directing their actions. So Paul describes this principle that is at work. One member of God's family has enough because another member is generous. Another way of saying this might run like this. The Lord uses generous Christians to help those who have a need or who lack resources. That was at work 2,000 years ago, and it's just as much the way that God works through people today. Both parties, in this case, the the one who is in need and the one who had the ability to give, were following the Lord's leading. The church members were concerned about Paul's well-being at all times, However, Paul acknowledges that they had not had an opportunity to show that desire to help until this most recent situation. What does that mean that they didn't have an opportunity until now? Perhaps they were unaware of where Paul had been taken. Perhaps they had been dealing with other financial hardships that he knew nothing about. Perhaps they didn't have a way to deliver the help that they longed to give him as they partnered with him. But notice what Paul did. He rejoiced in the midst of the situation even before he had received the help that he needed. He rejoiced greatly in the Lord. He trusted that the Lord had been in charge all along. He was determined to be content with what he had, knowing that the Lord cares and knowing that the Lord knew his needs. He didn't complain that they had not helped at an earlier time. He just assumed that there was some other reason why it hadn't come through. This is contentment. It's learning to be content in the Lord and to rest with what we have, even though we know that maybe not all things are right in our world, but finding the joy in the midst of that season. G.K. Chesterton wrote about contentment. He said, True contentment is the power of getting out of any situation all that there is in it. True contentment is the power of getting out of any situation all all that there is in it. I don't know about you, but I need to learn that value and that discipline of contentment. Sometimes what we can do is we can focus on the negatives and we forget about all the good things that God is doing. But even though we're always in a world where God is always affecting change and there will always be more change that needs to to happen, he wants us to find that value of contentment where we are. So here's the the main idea that I want to get across this morning. Mastering the secret to contentment leads to understanding how Christ's strength makes us resilient. So the first key is to know that you're in his hands. Here's the second key. View contentment as a discipline to be learned. I know a lot of people are really uncomfortable when we talk about disciplines, but disciplines are the things that actually allow us to get the most out of life, out of our time, out of our talent, out of what we have. Paul writes in verse 11, Philippians chapter 4, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Wouldn't you like to be able to say that at all times? I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. What we are discovering through a statement like that is that contentment is a spiritual discipline that can be learned. We're not just born with it. It's not just that some people have more contentment and and others have less and that we start off that way right from the cradle. He says, I have learned to be content. So Paul uses language that indicates past learning with future results. This implies that there was a time when he had not learned how to do this. If you or I have not yet developed this discipline, that is not so unusual, but it is a discipline that any Christ follower can learn and may I dare say must learn if we want to get the most out of life. In Paul's case, this was essential to enduring the hardships that came his way. When the Apostle Paul met Jesus, And embraced his role, his life didn't get any easier. But his life did become full of meaning and purpose. Paul saw himself as an apostle of the gospel message and as a servant of Jesus himself. So he was determined to go where he was sent, to deliver the message he was given, to overcome every obstacle in his path, to run his race with perseverance. And all the while, he would keep his eyes fixed on Jesus. For all these reasons, he was content to trust in the Lord's timing and provisions. Now, contentment doesn't mean that we fail to address the wrongs of our time. This is Martin Luther King weekend, and I was reading through some uh, of the various quotes of Dr. King. One of the things that he said some 50 years ago is, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. So Paul isn't trying to tell us that uh, there's nothing that we should bring to the Lord's attention that needs to change in our world or that we're always silent about all things. But in the midst of that, part of understanding the goodness of God is to learn how to be content and to find value where we can rest with him right where we are. We learn this discipline by trusting that we are in God's hands, trusting that he cares, and that he is always at work behind the scenes. Kevin Ruffcorn, a Lutheran pastor in Arizona, puts it this way, contentment is a statement of faith. He explains why this is hard for us, because our society breeds discontent. Discontent fuels our economy and drives our politics. We always have to have more. And too often in church, he writes, we don't see contentment as a necessary part of faith. Our perspective impacts how you and I view our situations. Perhaps you heard the story of a group of geography students who were studying the seven wonders of the world. At the end of the professor's lecture, the students were asked to list what they considered to be the present seven-day wonders of the world. Although there was some disagreement, the following got the most votes. One, the Pyramids of Egypt, two, the Taj Mahal, three, the Grand Canyon, Four, the Panama Canal. Five, the Empire State Building. Six, St. Peter's Basilica. And the seventh was the Great Wall of China. While gathering up the the votes that all the students had listed, the teacher noticed one student, a, a rather quiet girl, who hadn't turned in her paper yet. So he asked the girl if she was having trouble with her list. This young girl responded, yes, a little. I couldn't quite make up my mind because there were so many possibilities. And the teacher said, well, tell us what you have and maybe we can help you with your list. She hesitated and then she began reading what she'd written down. I think the seven wonders of the world are, one, to touch, two, to taste, three, to see, four, to hear. And then she paused thinking that maybe she was completely off the the norm And she quietly added five to hope, six to laugh, and seven to love. And the room just went quiet. How often we overlook the blessings that we have while we're looking outside at the blessings that we we hope to see or long for one day. Mastering the secret to contentment leads to understanding how Christ's strength makes us resilient. And here's the third key. Uh, The first is to know that you're in his hands at all times. The second is to view contentment as a discipline that we can learn. But here's the third. Realize that the secret is in the source. And so Paul writes in verses 12 and 13, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. In verse 12, Paul tells us that he has learned the secret. This is the secret of being content. This is not just a conditional contentment. This is a contentment that applies to every circumstance. And so he says, whether I'm in plenty, whether I'm want, the same secret applies. And then in verse 13, Paul delivers one of the all-time most helpful verses in the entire New Testament. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, I'm quoting from the New International Version, the most recent update of that. The older version says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But this update helps us understand what Paul may have truly meant Many, many people have taken Philippians 4.13 out of context as if it is a promise that God will empower us to do anything we ever wish to do in life. And this misuse leads many people to being let down by their misunderstanding of God. The truth is we can't do anything that we ever want to do. Instead, we find, I can do this. I can do what he calls me to do. I can do what he wants me to do. And I can find contentment through him who gives me strength. A pastor in Knoxville, Tennessee, Dennis Davidson, puts it this way. God does not grant us superhuman ability to accomplish anything we can imagine without regard to his interests. As we contend for the faith, we will face troubles, pressures, and trials. As they come, ask Christ to strengthen you. Folks, as we do this, as we walk through the difficulty of our days and ask him for the strength to meet every situation, we will find joy in Jesus. We will find the secret to contentment, for the secret is in knowing the power of Christ and inviting him into every single day and how we go through that day. Again and again and again, all of our help comes from the Lord. Even the help that is directed through other children of God is directed by the Lord. Mastering the secret to contentment leads to understanding how Christ's strength makes us resilient. He never puts us in situations where we have everything that we need so that we never need to call on God. Instead, he puts us in situations where we need to call on him for his strength. And it's as the strength of Christ living through us works its way out that you and I find our greatest joy in life. I wonder if you will pray a prayer with me, whether you're here in the room or whether you're at home. This will flash up on on your screen. But a prayer asking the Lord to give us this ability to trust him in every situation. If you're here in the room, would you dare to pray this out loud with me? Lord, increase my ability to trust you in every situation so that I can embrace the secret of contentment. When my strength runs out, hear my cry and let me discover you again as the source of all help. I can do everything you ask by finding strength in Jesus. Lord God, my continuing prayer this morning is that you will continue to do your work in us to make us resilient Christians who can roll through times of great difficulty when it seems like all of our world turns upside down. Give us the ability to advocate for the changes that you long to see in the world while we also demonstrate contentment with what you provide and what you've given us already. Lord, we enter this week and we pray as a group of people that you will bring healing to our nation that you will oversee the transfer of power that happens in just a few days as the, the president's office changes over. We pray that you would give us the ability to express even our holy discontent of things that are wrong in the world in ways that are right in your eyes. Give us the wisdom to find this balance. Right now, it seems like there are so many angry people on either sides of the political fence, on either side of the the way that we describe faith or lack of faith in this world. Allow us to find such a contentment with you through the strength of Jesus, that we find ourselves among those who find wiser words, wiser pathways, ways to build up others and to lift them higher, ways to make a difference And advocate for change while at the same time bringing out the best in each other rather than the worst. Help us to be a part of those people who are so wrapped up in the contentment of Jesus that the words that we say and the actions that we bring into this world reflect his heart and reflect the fact that we trust in a good God and your timing. We pray all these things today in Jesus mighty name. Hey, friends, thanks for worshiping with me and with us here today. And for those of you who are, who are tuning in, tell somebody else about what you're learning. Invite them into the process. They come with you next week as well. I'm so glad that you're a part of this today.